Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Uh, we are in part number four of our final series of this year, our sermon series called Made for Mission, and we are looking into the reality that every single human being was designed specifically by our Creator to live our life with mission, to live our life with purpose, to have an aim, a direction, an objective that we are intending to hit. And what we learn from Scripture is that it's not just any mission. So you're designed to live on mission. It's not just you randomly pick some mission out of the sky that you'd like to pursue and you just go after that thing and um, then you just find some fulfillment in life. But rather we learn from the one person that we believe lived his life with absolute certainty and perfection in his mission. And what we learn from Jesus Christ is the DNA, the essence of what mission really is. And what we learned, first of all, a few weeks ago is that true mission is something that has to be received. It's not born out of you. It's given to you from the world, from God at large, and is given to us from God when he tells us that we have been called by him as his creation to bring honor and glory to him, to reflect him in all that we do and all that we say, to show him as great and glorious. We also learn from Jesus that to live a life on mission, your mission has to have absolute clarity, meaning you've got to know exactly what you've been designed to do. And as I said before, if you're a created being of God, you have been designed by God to reflect your creator, to show forth who he is. And specifically now to believers. We saw from Jesus Christ, he gave the mission to those who believe in Jesus Christ to go share that message of the gospel. And as Jesus told us, to make disciples. That is the clear commission or the mission that has been given to us as believers in Jesus Christ in a broken world to help return other created beings to their original state, a sinless state to be with God. We learned last week that if we're really going to live a life on mission, that mission has to become urgent. It has to become important. We've got to see that the stakes are high, and if we don't take this mission seriously, there's going to be real problems, and we've got to see that. Well, today we're going to use this story that Jason read for us, the story of Matthew, the tax collector, his conversion to Jesus Christ. Matthew was an interesting figure. We don't learn too much about him, but what we know about history tells us a lot about Matthew's life. He was a tax collector under the Roman system, a Jewish person who lived probably in the region of Jerusalem or Judea, and he was a traitor to the Jews. He sold out. He became probably what was known as a first century thug. He was probably big and strong, and he forced people to pay taxes and he oftentimes would take probably way more than he was supposed to take and became a wealthy and a rich man. And one day he's sitting at his tax booth, probably some sort of booth on the main major roadway where he would tax um, uh, goods that were coming in. And he's sitting there and Jesus calls him and says, I want you to follow me. And all we see from Matthew is that he gets up and he follows him. And the scene quickly turns to Matthew's house. It goes from Matthew leaving his tax station, which was a dangerous thing to do because someone else was going to take it and he would lose his spot. And then we see him at his house 
with a place full of tax collectors and sinners and Jesus' disciples, and they're sharing a meal. And then this group of the Pharisees show up, and they've got some questions. And we're going to use this story of Matthew's conversion to illustrate the fourth reality of mission. And that is this, that true mission is always costly. There's always a cost to it. And Matthew's life is going to demonstrate that to us. It's going to do three things. Let's start with the first one. Matthew's life and Matthew's conversion reminds us that everything has a cost. You see in verse 9, it says that he immediately got up and left his post. Now, in those days, when you were a tax collector, what you did was you fronted the bill to the Roman government. So if you were going to be a tax collector and they said, hey, in this period of time, three months, six months, a year, here's what we expect from you, this much money. The tax collector from his own money would front that. And then over the course of the next 12 months, would try to earn it back. And you can understand why they would get a little bit aggressive, why they would get a little bit hostile. They knew how much they needed to recoup. And they would hope to probably reach that by April or May and then the rest of the year's commission, right? Making a bunch of money. And that's how they did it. And when Matthew got up from his table, he didn't call seat check and say, I'll be right back. He didn't say, listen, this is my table. Don't none of you people touch it. When he got up and he left, he relinquished that spot to earn money again. Now, Matthew was in the hole probably. He had already fronted the money to the Roman government. And when Jesus said, I want you to come and follow me, Matthew said, at the cost of even losing my money and my spot, I will. And here's the universal truth that we've got to see. Matthew's decision reminds us, uh, I'm going to tell you up here, there you go. Matthew's decision reminds us of a universal truth that everything in life, everything has a cost. Pause. you got to let that sit in. There is nothing in this world that is free. Nothing. There's no free lunch. There's nothing in this life that's just given to you. There's always a cost. Now, you might not know what the cost is, and the cost is not always monetary, but everything in life has a cost because it's limited resources. Things like time and money and energy are all limited resources that you have that you must decide what you're going to do with them. And when you do something with your time and when you do something with your money and when you do something with your energy, there is a cost associated with that. Economists call it opportunity loss, meaning that you have made a decision with your time and energy to be here today. And you have lost the opportunity to sleep in. You have lost the opportunity to go fishing. I don't know if you can fish today. You can tell how much I do that. You have lost the opportunity to go hunting, right, Harold? That, that was a cost for Harold to be here today. There's an opportunity cost because Harold's resources are limited, his time. Everything has cost. If you want to go to college, it's going to cost you time and money. You could take that time and money and travel Europe or go do something else. You know, you could do that if you wanted to. If you want to be a doctor, it's going to cost you something, probably your 20s, right? If you want to travel the world, it's going to cost you local community. You won't have a local community. If you want to be married, it's going to cost you other relationships. If you want to have a beach body, it's going to cost you cinnamon toast crunch. You know, you just have to give it up. (laughs) Everything in life has a cost. Everything. And Matthew's decision to leave his table and follow Jesus tells us this universal truth. Everything has a cost. And when you know that, you'll start spending your resources 
with a lot more wisdom. Your time, your money, your energy. But the second thing it does is that Matthew doesn't just remind us that everything has a cost. He shows us that true discipleship is what really costs. Matthew shows us this very specific truth that discipleship to Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, will cost you something. Now, eternal life, meaning living in the presence of God for all eternity with the fullness of joy and pleasure in a community of people without sin and heartache and harm, is absolutely free. It came at the expense of Jesus Christ. But discipleship is costly. And verse 10 tells us this. Look in verse 10. I want to read this for you. If I can open it up. There it is. Listen to verse 10. It says, as Jesus reclined at Matthew's table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew's decision to leave and to follow Jesus came immediately with some cost. It cost him his time. He had to follow Jesus. It cost him his money. He started feeding people. It cost him his home. His home was now open to tax collectors and sinners and Jesus and their disciples. It cost him his public reputation. People now were wondering about Matthew. What's going on with this? It cost him a lot of things because here's the deal. Discipleship is costly, not because you're buying your way into heaven, but because you are joining a mission. That's why discipleship is costly. You see, what Matthew shows us, this story is so important for you to see this. What Matthew's story shows us is that discipleship of Jesus and making other people disciples are not two tenets, but one of faith. With a moment, Matthew says, I'll follow you, I'll come after you. He immediately has people, tax collectors and sinners, in his home to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Discipleship is disciple-making. Disciples make disciples. you got to get that. And this is the crisis that the American church is in today, mainly in large part to this problem, because we believe that you can have discipleship of Jesus Christ without any cost. Think about this. The decision to follow Jesus will cost you. And if it doesn't cost you anything, you're not following Jesus. I don't know what you're following. You might be following a religion. You might be following some sort of public expectation of people. You might be following the hopes and dreams of your family, so you're just coming to church. But if being a Christian has not cost you anything, you might not yet be following Jesus Christ. And you may just be playing church and hoping to slide into heaven no notice. And the Bible calls that presuming on God's grace. Just assuming that he's going to give it to you, even though you have made no investment whatsoever, even though you have no commitment to him, even though you aren't joined in life with him. You just want to presume on his goodness without having any connection to him. It's got to cost you something. Here's the question. What does it cost you? What does discipleship in Jesus Christ cost you? Now, Matthew records a parable to tell you what it's going to cost. Okay, so we already know. Matthew is the only one that tells us this parable, and I find it unique and interesting that he is the one that's going to tell us the parable about how much it costs to follow Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, listen to this. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven, this is a synonym for what it means to be under the rule of Jesus Christ. 
the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, plural. He's looking for any fine pearl he can find. He believes there's many of them. There's lots of them. And so he wants to find as many fine pearls as he can. That's what a merchant is doing. Who, this merchant, upon finding the one pearl of the greatest value, went and sold everything. And he bought it. What's the cost? What does it cost to be a disciple? In a simple answer, everything. Everything. There was a preacher in Argentina who wrote a book about discipleship and the cost of it. And he took this very simple parable and he expanded it. It's beautiful. And he tells the story about a man who walks into a shop and he finds something that he really, really wants. And just so happens to be that the shop owner is Jesus. And what Jesus is offering is life, joy, peace, forgiveness, a clean slate, guilt-free, shame washed away, and certainty. And he walks up to the counter and he tells Jesus, I'd like to have that. Um, can I have it? And he says, nah, Jesus. Nah. Jesus answers, this is way too expensive. I don't think you want this. And he goes, no, 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 that's exactly what I've been looking for. What you have right here is exactly what I'm look, looking for. Tell me how much it is. I want it. He goes, can I buy it? And he says, anybody can buy it, but it's really expensive. And he says, well, how much will it cost? And so Jesus answered back to him, it's going to cost you everything. Everything? Everything. And Jesus goes, well, what do you have? And the man says, well, I have about $10,000 in my bank account. And he goes, great. Jesus takes out his pencil. And he writes down $10,000. He says, that's great. He says, what else do you have? He goes, what do you mean, what else? He goes, uh, pats his pockets, pulls out some money, he counts it out, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, I got $100. Great, $100, he takes it. He says, what else do you have? He goes, that, that, that's it. And Jesus goes, do you live anywhere? He says, well, I have a house. He says, great, house, okay, your house. Well, what else? And the man goes, well, what do you want me to live in my car? What do you want me to do? And he, oh, you have cars. Okay. He, write, he goes, well, I have two. He goes, two cars. He goes, well, now I have nothing. He goes, well, what else do you have? Are you alone? He goes, well, no, I have a wife. I have two kids. Great. Jesus says, your wife and your two kids. The man looks at him. He says, am I just going to be all alone now? And Jesus goes, oh, you have yourself. Okay, great. Even you. And the man goes, you've taken my money, my house, my cars, my wife, my kids, even me. You've taken everything. And Jesus says, yes, to have what I'm offering you, it costs you all of this. But I'm going to return it to you for the use of sharing this message with all people. That's what it costs. You see, your discipleship calls you to join the disciple-making mission, and that has a cost. Every believer in this room right now, if you are a Christian, you've got to get this point. Your discipleship of Jesus is demanding you join the mission of making disciples, and that has a cost. What's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you the phone that's in your pocket right now. Can it be used for more than just random distractions in your day? You know what I'm talking about? Can it be used for sending encouraging messages to people in your life? Can it be used for answering a phone call to lift somebody up? Can it be used in a way to help make a disciple? You have a car that's in the parking lot. Can it be used to offer a ride to somebody in need? 
Can it be used to take you on a visit to somebody who is hurting? You've got a social media account probably. If you don't, don't get one. But if you do, you've got a social media account. Will you pay the cost of sacrificing self-promotion for gospel promotion on your social media account? Will you sacrifice the cost of a political voice for a gospel voice on your social media account? What will you do with it? You've got a home that you live in. Will you take the cost of hosting somebody in your home for dinner who might not have been invited for weeks, months, maybe years in this place right now? Will you host somebody? Will you use that home to give a room for somebody to stay, a couch for somebody to sleep on? Let me tell you, disciples are made when other disciples pay the cost of hospitality. That's where disciples are made. Not in events, but in people's homes. You've got your time. Will you share that with somebody to study the Bible, to pray, to listen? You've got your energy and your emotions. Let me tell you something. Discipleship will drain you of your energy. It will drain you of your emotion because when you walk with somebody in discipleship, because all discipleship means is helping another person walk along the journey of becoming like Jesus Christ and the people you're helping are just like you, meaning they struggle with one, two, maybe three sins at most. And you're going to have repeated conversations, repeated encouragement, and you're going to get tired of it. And you're going to get exhausted. Are you willing to pay the cost of your energy and your emotion to walk with somebody over the course of years? You've got your fear and your pride and your reputation. Are you willing to pay that cost to be known in your community, in your workplace as a Christian and suffer the feeling at times of isolation that nobody else is like me for that one moment when somebody in your office, somebody in your neighborhood hits crisis in their family? It's crisis in their marriage. It's crisis in their work. It's crisis in their finances. And in that moment of crisis, they said, who in the world can I talk to? I know who I can talk to, that one person that carries themselves as a Christian. Will you pay that cost? That's what it means. You see, Matthew's story doesn't just remind us that everything costs, or even that discipleship costs. Matthew's story challenges us on our view of what we think about cost. Let me explain this last point. How we view cost. Look in the uh, last couple verses there. In verses uh, uh, 11 through 13, the Pharisees come around, and there's an interaction between the Pharisees, Jesus' disciples, and Jesus. And the Pharisees are starting to criticize Matthew and the disciples and Jesus, saying, listen, what is the deal with these tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know religious people are not supposed to be around these riffraff of society. And all of a sudden, Jesus hears it, and he speaks back, and he says this. Those who are well, verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. And he tells those Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not a sacrifice. You see, Jesus viewed that dinner at Matthew's house, and Matthew viewed opening his home and spending money on food and giving of his time, not as a lost cause. They had a different view on the cost that I just described to you. They viewed cost differently. They had a different way of looking at the cost of discipleship. The first one is this. They knew this. Matthew knew this. Both discipleship and non-discipleship have a cost with them. 
Let me make sense of that. Hear me. Both discipleship and not being a disciple have a cost. Remember, everything in life has a cost. So if you decide to follow Jesus, there's a cost. But if you decide not to follow Jesus, there's also a cost. You remember that story about the rich young ruler that comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He had a want. He said, I want eternal life. And Jesus looked at him and loved him, had compassion on him, and he saw the thing that was standing in his way was his possessions. He loved them too much. And he said, go and sell everything, and you can come have treasure in heaven. You'll follow me. And the man walked away, and he chose that time to not be a disciple. You see, that man looked at his possessions and said, I value these more than following Jesus. And following Jesus would cost me my possessions. But what that man didn't think about is what it cost him to not follow Jesus. Do you know what it cost that man to not follow Jesus? Do you know what it cost the Pharisees to not follow Jesus? It cost them forgiveness. It cost them joy. It cost that man the Holy Spirit in his life. It cost him fellowship with like-minded believers who would do anything for him. It cost him the grace of God for every difficult circumstance of life that he could walk through. And it cost him a transcendent mission to give his life towards that he knew he wanted to. And it cost him security. You got to know this. Both discipleship and non-discipleship have a cost. Everything has a cost. But the second way that they view uh, cost is this. That the cost of discipleship is not a fee for membership. But cost is an investment into a mission. You notice in verse 12 the way Jesus describes what he's doing. He says, listen, he described it like being a physician who cares for people who are sick. That's the picture he sees. Now, an ideal scenario for those who are training to be physicians or doctors or in the healthcare profession is that they would invest, they would, they would absorb the cost of time and training, the money. They would absorb the cost of long hours at the hospital or the doctor's office. Big time investment. And they do all of that so that they might have the opportunity to restore health to a patient. And when they restore health to a patient, if you ask any medical care professional, they love doing that. And so the cost of training, the cost of money, the cost of time was all worth it for them because they knew what they were investing into, the health of another person. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying about disciple making. That it's deeply, deeply satisfying when we do it, when we invest in somebody else. Here's how Paul would describe it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, For what is our, Paul, our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before the Lord at His coming? Is it not you, these Christians? You are our glory and our joy. In a very godly way, what Paul was saying was the moment I stand before God and I see you there with me, you will be the fullness of all my joy in this life. That bringing somebody else along with you, sharing with somebody what Jesus Christ has to offer, brings you ultimate joy. Investing in and caring for the highest good of another person, yes, will cost you. It will zap you. It will drain you. It will ask of you more than what you ever could imagine. But it brings back to you an overwhelming return of joy. I can't tell you the number of times in my life that I've got a text message or a call from somebody or I see somebody two, three, four months or years later and their life has changed and they're different. It brings a deep satisfaction that that time was worth it. Let me finish you with this thought and we'll be done. 
Cost alone is not the thing that makes people unhappy in life. Usually when we think about cost, we think about it in a negative way. How much does this car cost? i got to pay for it. I don't want to. I wish I could get it for less, but I can't. We usually think about cost in a negative way. But cost actually is neutral. It's a neutral thing. What really makes us unhappy or frustrated is not the cost of things. It is the uncertainty of what we really want and the uncertainty if we can really get it. That's what makes us bothered by it. So when you are certain about what you want and you are certain about how to get that thing, you actually have no problem with the cost. Ask the person who wants to become a doctor and has all the passion in the world and just loves that idea and all they want to do is be that doctor. They're not bothered by the cost because they know what they want and they know how to get there. You see, the cost doesn't bother you when you know what you want. And when you find Jesus, and I'm not talking about some 1980s American evangelical slang way of finding Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when you really find the truth in him, that inside of Jesus Christ is a louder voice that shuts up the voice that is in every one of us, that whispers to us, that when you finally get that job or that promotion, or when you finally get that relationship or that person, when you finally get that million dollars or a thousand dollars, or when you finally get that attention from somebody or the respect that you want, or when you finally get the control that you so desperately think you need, or when you finally become a perfect student or a perfect player, a perfect professional, a perfect husband or a perfect spouse, a wife, or when you finally become a perfect parent, that voice that whispers to you, when you get this or become that, then you'll be okay. Then you'll be acceptable. Then you'll be loved. Jesus is here tenderly saying to you, you're already loved in me. You're loved in a greater way than you could ever imagine. Greater than if you got your hopes and dreams of all the things that you desire. You're loved greater than that. Greater than you would be if you achieved everything you ever wanted to achieve. The love I have for you, the acceptance, the security I have for you is greater than any of that. And how can you know it? How can you trust that? Because demonstrating love to you is what cost Jesus everything. It cost him everything. He came to this life with a mission, and it cost him his life. And when you look at him, and you say, okay, Jesus, was the cost worth it? When you ask him, was it worth it? The Hebrew writer answers you this way in chapter 12, verse 2. says that who for the joy set before Jesus, it was joy for him. To endure the cross, despise all the shame, and sit down now at the right hand of God. That going to the end of his life and suffering in an unjust way, he says, brought me satisfaction and joy because that cost gave me you. And when you get that, and that touches you, you'll be so fulfilled that all you want to do is share that with somebody else. And you won't share it till you get that. If you need it, won't you come as we stand to sing?